Have you ever struggled to know how to pray for another believer? Maybe you've struggled in knowing how to pray for someone when they're doing well, when actually their Christian life seems to be thriving, when life in general seems to be treating them well, when God's blessing seems to rest upon them. How do you pray for them? And maybe you've struggled to know how to pray for someone when they're not doing well. How do you pray for someone when their spiritual life is tanking, when they're not walking well with the Lord? Or maybe they're walking well with the Lord, but things around them aren't going well. There's been job loss or death in the family, disease. How do you pray for other believers? One of the great things that God has given us as his gift is he's granted us prayers in scripture. Prayers that sometimes the apostles have prayed for other believers, for other churches. And one of those prayers is found in the book of Colossians in the first chapter. Last week as we launched into Colossians, we saw a prayer of thanksgiving. And this morning on Thanksgiving Sunday, we see a continued prayer, transitioning into a prayer, a petition. And this is Paul's prayer, verse 9. For this reason, Paul says, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Paul says, for this reason, well, what reason? back in verse 8, that the gospel is bearing fruit and it's multiplying, not just around the world, but among you. Paul reminds them that the gospel, this true gospel, this true message, is bearing fruit and multiplying around the world and in them. And Paul says, because of this or for this reason, ever since we heard about you, because they weren't the ones that planted the church. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Timothy. It was Epaphras. And so, Paul says, since we've heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God. It's happening not just on an inconsistent basis, but on a regular basis. To do what? To fill you with the knowledge of his will. Through all wisdom and understanding. The apostle says that we want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. This isn't necessarily God's specific will. This is God's general will. Paul says, I want you to know how God would have you to live. Wisdom, when he says, pray with you for all wisdom or through all wisdom, wisdom is living life or seeing life from God's perspective, from God's viewpoint, from God's vantage point. Wisdom is being able to understand life from God's viewpoint or God's perspective. And he says, I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom, and through all understanding. Understanding is not only seeing God, or seeing life through God's viewpoint, but then knowing how to practically live it out. How do I demonstrably, how do I practically live out this wisdom that God has granted me? And note this, he says, it's the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. This is one of the reasons we're so dependent on the Spirit of God, on God's Holy Spirit. We can't know how God would have us live except God reveals it to us. He's revealed it to us in his word, and his spirit opens the eyes of our heart to understand how he'd have us live, to understand what we should do. That's one of the reasons we need to be more dependent on the spirit of God, because it's God's spirit that leads and guides in this direction. So one of the things you can pray for any believer is to ask God to fill them with the knowledge of his will 
through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So Spirit of God, would you grant my brother or sister wisdom and understanding so they would know your will. Spirit of God, would you grant them wisdom? Spirit of God, would you grant them understanding? Sometimes in a specific area, maybe in an area of finance because they've been consumeristic and greedy. Maybe in an area of, of stewardship because they haven't cared for God's creation the way they're called to. Maybe in an area of, of, um, of, of just general obedience because of some rebellion that's been in their life. And then Paul says this, verse 10, I'm praying, in verse 9, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. He says, my prayer is that at the end you would live well. My prayer is that you would please the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10 says that, 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 that Paul's ambition, that is whether he's there or he's absent, is that you would be pleasing to God. That our ambition, whether we're there or whether we're absent, is that we would please God. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, you've received this instruction from us around how to walk so that you'd be able to please God. Our rebellion, our sin, has moved us from God, where we're no longer in relationship with him and we're actually his enemy. And as the gospel begins to reclaim our lives for the kingdom, for God himself, for his namesake and glory, we want to live lives that please him, that honor him, that bring him glory. And the way we work, and the way we treat our families, and the way we live, and the way we forgive, in everything. And then he says this, he offers four ways to live your life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Four things here. Note he says that you would bear fruit in every good work. That you would grow in the knowledge of God. That you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so you might have great endurance and patience. And that you would give joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Those are the four things. He says, I want you to be able to walk worthy, live a life that's worthy of the Lord. And I want you to be able to please him in every way. In these four ways, capture those every way. One, be productive. Be productive. Bear fruit in every good work. Sometimes when the Bible talks about fruit, it's talking about character, like the fruit of the Spirit. But here he's talking about good works lasting, good works having eternal value, that the good works you do are bearing fruit, that the good work itself isn't the end in itself, that the good work of providing housing isn't the end, but it actually bears fruit for the gospel. If all we've done is sheltered people, we haven't accomplished the task that God has given us. The sheltering of people is a calling God has granted us to point them to him so that people will turn from sin and trust in Christ. Because the ultimate shelter all of us need is the sheltering from his wrath for his glory by the accomplished work of Christ. So our good works always need to bear fruit. If we're handing out Christmas hampers, helping with the soccer league, it's not just providing a sports opportunity for children that otherwise may not be able to play in an organized sport. 
It's not just offering a good uh, a basket or hamper for people at Christmas who otherwise may not have that opportunity. It's an opportunity in that good work to point and direct people to Jesus Christ to bear fruit. To bear fruit. A friend of mine was at a anniversary celebration, 50th anniversary for a former boss of his and his wife. His boss's wife. And he got to speak at this anniversary celebration. And at the anniversary celebration, his uh, former boss at one point said to him, when he was thanking him for his speech, said, when you worked for me, I knew you never really worked for me. I knew when you were here working, you worked for the Lord. That's how every employer should see us. I'm here working for the Lord. As a construction worker, as a general laborer, as a nurse, as an engineer, in whatever vocation God has granted me as a business owner, the people that we're dealing with should say, you work for the Lord. That the good work you do will bear fruit because they'll see the Lord Jesus in you. And whether that's the good work in volunteering, whether that's the good work in work in terms of your productivity and your work life, that whatever good work God has called you to do with your family, with your vocation, your neighbors, on your street, that it actually bears kingdom fruit. So he says, live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bear fruit in every good work, be productive. And then he says, grow in your knowledge of the Lord, be motivated. Grow in your knowledge of the Lord. Be purposeful and intentional. It's easy to coast, isn't it? Easy to end up in a place where all we do is coast. Right? There's a season, a time when we walked well with the Lord, when we were growing in our faith, when we were devouring the scriptures, when we were enjoying God's company, and then all of a sudden we begin to coast. I remember meeting a woman at a conference I was speaking at, and she came up to me and, and she was like, I don't know what happened. She said, I don't know what happened. She said, somehow along the way I became distracted, completely distracted. I was walking with the Lord. I was following him. I was, you know, at church faithfully, part of a small group, serving him and, and, and thinking about him at work and witnessing. And, and then all of a sudden, just life distracted me. The opportunity to earn more money, right? Promotion that came my way into a relationship that ended up into a, a marriage. And life just got in the way. We had kids and I just got distracted. And I want that back. I, I want the passion, the fervor I had for him back. Back. In fact, I was in a conversation with someone this week who just said, Dwayne, I, I feel like I've lost my faith. When I compare how I'm walking with the Lord now and how I walked with him just a couple of years ago. And that's because it's easy to become distracted. He says here, grow in the knowledge of God. Grow in the knowledge of God. How do you do that? You do that by devouring and reading the scripture. By understanding God's word. Digging into God's word. And we're so privileged today. We can listen to it on, on, on a podcast. We can download the Bible on our, on our devices, our smartphones. Listen to it every day. We can read it black and white in print. In, in our Bibles, just open them up and read them. We have each other. We can grow in our knowledge of God by encouraging each other, spurring each other on toward loving good deeds. I mean, who are you investing in? Who are you pushing on to be like Christ? Who are you walking alongside of? And there's so many online resources. Ligonier, Gospel Coalition, great online resources among many. 
that you can go on, look at, read, devour, be a part of, to grow in your knowledge of God. And then he says, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, that you might have great endurance and patience. He says, be dependent. Be dependent. Man, we need dependency. We, we live in a day where we want to be independent. I don't want to count on anyone. I want to be able to do this on my own. And yet we realize we can't live spiritually on our own. The world combats us. The enemy fights us. And we're selfish. And we're selfish. And so all of a sudden we recognize, man, this Christian walk is hard. This is actually a challenge. And so Paul says, would you be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might? That's the kind of strength we need, isn't it? The kind of strength we long for. God hasn't just left you on your own. Is that not great news? God's spirit longs to strengthen you with all power. All power belongs to him. He spoke creation into existence. He sustains the universe by his might and power. And he says this, I want you to be strengthened by all power, and all power belongs to him. Power is God's ability to do something. It's according to God's might. God's might is his authority to accomplish it. God not only has the power to do it, he has the might to make sure it occurs. He says, I want you to be strengthened by all the power God can offer you and the might that he gives you so that you will have great endurance and patience. Endurance because this is a marathon, not a sprint. Endurance because we need to be in this for the long haul. Endurance because the enemy, our own sinful nature, and the world will combat us. They'll offer their knowledge. They'll offer their wisdom. They'll offer their way of thinking. They'll tell us God doesn't exist. They'll tell us the universe can self-create. They'll tell us God's way is archaic. In fact, they'll now call it unethical. And they'll offer their wisdom, they'll offer their knowledge. And God says, I want my spirit to be granting you wisdom and knowledge so that you can live well. And as you live well, you'll bear fruit with every good work. You'll grow in your knowledge of God and I'll strengthen you. I'll strengthen you so that you can have great endurance and patience. Patience when it seems like the progress is slow. Patience when you're struggling to move forward. Patience when at times the road is difficult. And then he says, you're giving joyful thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. On this Thanksgiving Sunday, we give joyful thanks to the Father. Joyful thanks to God. We come before him and we're thankful for what we're thankful, that he's qualified us, that he gave his son Jesus to qualify us, that he took our place. The qualifying of God is Christ took my sin upon himself, granting me his righteousness, which qualifies me into the kingdom. I was disqualified. My sin disqualified me from ever entering into God's presence. My sin disqualified me from being his child. But Christ's accomplished work 
upon my repentance and belief has qualified me into what? Into a share of the inheritance of the holy people, his holy people, in the kingdom of light. I get a share of the inheritance of God. I'm one of his children. You're one of his children. We share in God's inheritance. Is that not great news? We share in God's inheritance. And we're now his holy people. We're now set apart for him. He now sees us. And when he sees us, he sees the image of his son. And we're now in the kingdom of light. We now understand who God is, who we are, how he's made us, how we're to live, how we relate to others, because he's told us how to do that right here in his word. And as we grow in our knowledge of God, bear fruit in every good work, are strengthened with power so that we can have great endurance and be patient. God says, give much thanks. Because he's qualified you to share in his inheritance with the other holy people. You are now in the kingdom of light. And then verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. God has rescued us. Did you catch that in verse 13? Praise his name on this Thanksgiving Sunday. God has rescued us. It's reminiscent of the recent fires down in California. And as you watch some of the fires that were happening and occurring, you know, over 2 million acres, the most ever in California's history, there are some incredible rescues that occurred. People that were rescued as the fire was burning around them. And those that came and risked their own lives to rescue them so that they could live. It's reminiscent for me a number of years ago of, of um, Hurricane Katrina and the incredible devastation and destruction of New Orleans. And rescue workers who came and, and, and they saved people from, from rooftops. They saved people from cars that were, that were overwhelmed and flooded and floating away. I mean, you can watch some of the dramatic rescue scenes as people are plucked from rooftops as they're being, just, just some of them are rooftops that have, that have come dislodged and are moving down the current, soon to be overtaken. Coast Guard comes with his helicopter, cage is dropped. They rescue entire family, including the dog. And that family, those people, they were doomed. They were in a dire situation. They could do nothing to save themselves. Rescues, you could see that in the New Orleans uh, hurricane, Katrina. The people in their cars where the floodwaters came and the onslaught was quick and it was tremendously horrific. People who would have died except that someone came and rescued them. Paul says that's true of all of us. But God has rescued us. God has grabbed a hold of us when we were unable to rescue ourselves, unable to save ourselves. God came and did it in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's granted us freedom from the dominion of darkness. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And he's granted us a part of his inheritance as his holy people in the kingdom of light. He's brought us into the kingdom of his son, the son he loves. He contrasts here the dominion of darkness with the kingdom of light and the kingdom of his son. The kingdom of darkness belongs to the enemy, but the kingdom of light and of his son is his. And he says, we have redemption. We've been bought back. 
We were gods. We walked away. We sinned. We rebelled. God could have just cast us aside, but he didn't. God rescues us. He redeems us. He buys us back. And the purchase of us being bought back was the blood of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. His blood bought us back. So he could forgive us for our sin. He's a forgiving God. A redeeming God. A God of light who loves to rescue people. Is that not great news? That's what God loves to do. And so maybe at times you struggle with how to pray for people, other believers. This is Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, that you would have all wisdom and understanding from the Spirit. So that you could live a life worthy of the Lord. You can please him in every way. That you would be productive. You'd bear fruit in every good work. You'd be motivated. You'd grow in your knowledge of God. You'd be dependent. You'd be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. So that you may have great endurance and patience. You'd be overjoyed. You'd give joyful thanks to the Father. Because he's qualified you into the, your share of inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And he's done this because he's rescued you from the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen.